0: All right, let's pray together. Lord God, our hearts are filled with joy because of uh, who you are and what you've done for us. And we invite you, God, we just bring our hearts to you this morning. God, some of us here today just need to be encouraged by your word. We need just a, a fresh encounter with you. We need you to draw close to us. Some of us just, we need you to carry us in this season that we're in right now. Some of us, God, are are crippled with with fear and with doubt and overwhelmed by circumstances. And as we look ahead, it just, it seems hard. Yeah, God, I pray that you stir our faith through the promises of your word based on the never-ending, never-changing character of who you are. And God, some of us are here and we're just filled with joy. We're just glad to be in your presence with God's people today. And we want to celebrate you. So do, Lord, pour your joy into our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So do you all like to travel? Yeah. One of my favorite things about summertime is that Often we get away as a family and we go to places, you know, that we don't normally get to see and experience new things. And, uh, you know, summer's kind of coming to an end. I realize that. But I want to take you on one last little trip. And uh, it's a trip actually back in time, back to the time just after Jesus died when he was crucified. And it's going to require a little bit of an imagination. So I want you to put. Your imagination into high gear. And I want you to picture yourself as one of Jesus' closest companions. I mean, really think about and put on their sandals and walk in their shoes. What was it like right after Jesus died? You know, Jesus, the one that you had all your hopes in, the one that gave life and offered so much of a bright future, and now he's gone. And you were there You were there in the garden Remember? When the soldiers came The Roman soldiers thundered and, And one of your own betrayed him And then you saw them drag him away And then you heard about this sham of a trial Where they just threw all these accusations on Jesus They were unfounded But no one came to his defense No one was there to stand up for him And then they brought him out all all beaten and, and, and all bloodied. And then the crowd, you were there in the back hiding and you heard them shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And you never said a word to stand up for him. And then they stripped him down to his undergarments and they made him and prayed through the streets with a cross on his back and he stumbled and he was bleeding And there you were watching from afar with a hood over your head so that no one would recognize that you were one of his companions. And they led him up the hill, and you watched him be crucified and die. You watched his mother weep over his body, and now all hopes are gone. It's over, and here we are all huddled huddled together, and it's just a matter of time before the Romans come bursting through our locked door to come seize us and crucify us, just like Jesus. We're the last remnants, hiding in fear, in guilt, in shame, not knowing what to do next. And then there's a bang on the door. I don't know. But it's Mary Magdalene. And some of the women, and they're coming and they're talking about seeing Jesus. What are they talking about? And then some men come. They say they were walking on the road to Emmaus, right? And, and, and they say they talked to Jesus too. I mean, what's this even about? This is insulting. We just need to accept this and move on. Jesus is dead. It's over. Why are they even doing this? I mean, I feel bad enough. I let Jesus down again and again, and now the burden is just more than I can even better. Wait, is that Jesus in this room? The door didn't even open, he just appeared. Could that be him? Is it him? And then there's this wave of just guilt and shame. What's Jesus going to say about my unfaithfulness? Can you relate to what they might have felt? when Jesus returned. Have you ever been in a time like that where, you know, maybe you stumbled into some sort of sin, got caught into it? Or maybe even worse yet, you kind of ran toward it. And at first, you know, it was, it was good. I mean, but then you were buried by it, buried in the guilt, buried in the shame. And then it hooked you, right? Then it kind of grabbed you and wouldn't let you go. And it chased you down and you couldn't get rid of it. You couldn't stop. And you're like, God. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I'll try to never do it again. But you did, right? Over and over again. And you kind of get to the point where you're just sick of yourself and you don't want to face God anymore because you feel unforgivable, you feel ungrateful. You feel unfaithful. I've been there many times. And like you probably, I wondered to myself honestly, don't we wonder, you know, can God really still love me? Really? Can He? Will He? And it's in times like this, in the darkness, when we feel so trapped and so dark, that the light of God's word is so helpful and so encouraging to us. I love what it says here in 2 Timothy 2.13. 2, 13. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. You see, in our fallen nature, aren't we kind of like moths drawn to a lantern? I mean, we just fall into failure and sin. It's kind of like, yeah. But God's nature is different. You see, God, his nature is faithfulness, and he sticks by us even when we are unfaithful. He does not turn away even when we do and walk the other direction. And I know these words seem almost too good to be true, right? Almost too good to be true. But isn't it true that God's character matches his word and we see God consistent with this. He rings true as he forgives a drunken Noah, right? (laughs) A faithless Sarah, a fearful Esther, a murdering Moses, an adulterer, David, a denying Peter, and a persecuting Paul. Jesus never gave up on them. God was consistent with unfathomable mercy and grace and goodness, undeserved. He's so incredibly good to us. And that's exactly what we're going to celebrate this morning, is the faithfulness of God, even when we feel so incredibly Unfaithful. And so I want to encourage you inside your program there, there's some notes. Take those out. We're going to, that'll help you follow along. And then also, if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn it to Luke chapter 24, where we're going to study today. If you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry about that at all. Um, The verses will be up here on the screen. You can follow along. And by the way, if maybe you don't own a Bible, you don't have one, but you'd like to have one, we'd love to give you one as a gift. You can actually find them on your way out today. There's a bookshelf right here in the lobby. Just grab one and take it with you and enjoy it. I encourage you to dig into it. So there is great, incredible news for us when we feel unfaithful. Jesus offers us four things, and the first one is this. Jesus offers us a peace to live in, a peace to live in. Now, one of the things that's so very incredibly elusive, right, when we are stumbling and falling in guilt and shame is peace. It's so elusive. And I love what uh, Matthew Henry said about peace. Matthew Henry was a a pastor from the 1700s, and he said this. He said, the peace that Jesus gives is not the absence of trouble, but it's rather the confidence that he's there with you always, always, always. Jesus offers us the peace of his presence. He offered it to his followers then. He offers it to us right now. Let's take a look at it. Luke 24, 35 to 43 says this. Then the two from Emmaus told their story how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them peace to you he said but the whole group was startled and frightened thinking they were seeing a ghost why are you frightened he asked why are your hearts filled with doubt look at my hands look here at my feet you can see it's really me touch me and make sure that i'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that i do and as he spoke he showed them his hands and feet Still, they stood there in disbelief. They were filled with joy and wonder. And then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? (laughs) And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it there as they watched. (laughs) Now, as we said, Jesus had died. They saw him die on the cross. They saw a spear thrust in his side. He was buried in a tomb, and yet there he was standing in front of them. They were freaking out. They were saying, oh my gosh, it's a ghost, but it's a friendly one. He's like Casper. (laughs) And Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm not a ghost. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. I'm standing right here in front of you. And by the way, do you have any snacks? I'm hungry. I haven't eaten in three days. And they're watching to see if maybe as he eats, the food just might have dropped right down to the floor, and yet, no, he's the real deal, Jesus standing right in front of them. But they still just can't believe it. They can't believe it, which is puzzling in some ways, because you remember how many times as we go through the gospels that Jesus told them over and over again, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, but I'm going to rise again from the dead. Over and over again, he told them, but they just didn't get it. But then now he's standing right in front in front of them, and they still just don't get it. It kind of reminds me of a story of this young man. And he had a girlfriend, and she was what you might call a little bit clue-challenged. <laughs> right? So he took her to her very first football game. He thought it'd be a fun date. And so they sat behind their team's favorite bench. The whole game, things are going really well. And after the game, he turns to his girlfriend. He says, so, sweetheart, what did you think of the game? And she says, oh, I really liked it, especially the tight pants and the big muscles. But what I really didn't get is why they were killing each other over 25 cents. And he just was puzzled. She said, what do you mean? What do you mean? And she says, well, they flipped a coin and one team got it. And then the rest of the game, they kept yelling, get the quarterback, get the quarterback, get the quarterback. (laughs) And I'm like, hello, it's only 25 cents. (laughs) (laughs) Clueless. Clueless. (laughs) You see, the disciples, they had fallen out of faith and trust and belief. They abandoned Jesus. You could even say that they rejected him. So, how does Jesus react? I mean, really, let's go back to that moment. How does he react? Abandoned, rejected. Jesus says this to them Peace. The literal word is shalom, which means God's full blessing and favor upon you. And then again later, when they're still struggling, he says this in John 14 27. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is the gift that the world can't give. So don't be troubled and don't be afraid. Do you know the kind, gracious, and forgiving Savior that you have? He knows everything about you, everything that could condemn you, every thought, every deed, every action. There's no secrets with God, there's no shadows with God, and yet he says to you, peace. It's the greatest gift he can give. His peace, which is his very presence that draws near, that comes to you, looks you in the face. Do you remember the woman caught in adultery? I mean, she was grabbed, thrown at Jesus' feet. And he never turned away. He stood down, looked into her eyes, and spoke words of comfort and love and peace. You see, even when we are faithless, God is faithful. When we have nowhere to turn, we can turn to Jesus. Colossians 3.15 encourages us, let the peace of Christ. Rule in your heart. That's your birthright as a child of God, the peace of Christ. Next, Jesus gives us a paradigm to live with, a paradigm to live with. So back as a young man in my early 20s, Soon after I had become a Christian, I used to go with a group of friends of mine, and we'd actually drive, I lived in Southern California, and we'd drive to downtown Hollywood, and we would walk the streets down there, and we would go and share Jesus with runaway teens. Those were some of the most heartbreaking conversations I can remember. But what was really fascinating to me was the crazy ideas that they had about who Jesus was. I remember one young guy in particular, and he I asked him, so who do you think Jesus is? And he says, well, and he's, he really believed this. He says, I believe Jesus came down in a spaceship. <laughs> and he came from another planet to share with us the truth from his other world. Poor kid had scrambled his brains on egg uh, on drugs probably. But isn't it true? I mean, isn't it really true? That so many people come up with all kinds of crazy ideas about who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. I mean, Jesus' very own disciples, right? These are the people that walked with him, that heard his teaching, who were with him 24-7 all the time, and yet still they were so confused about who Jesus was and what he was there to do. I mean, they thought it was about a kingdom, but it was about a king. They thought it was about freedom from Rome but it was about freedom from sin they thought it was about being jewish but what it really was about was about god making them newish <laughs> I'm making up new words for you you see jesus used the scriptures god's living words to help open their eyes to see and understand that every single thing that had ever happened to him it was all part of god's plan from the very beginning These are things that were written about Jesus hundreds of years before he ever came. Luke 24, 44 to 45 says this. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now we're not given exactly what those scriptures were. Details aren't in there. But there are so many key scriptures, words from the Old Testament, written again hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born and ever lived that testified exactly who he was. We go back even to Genesis 12, 1 to 3, where we're told that there will be a deliverer, a Messiah who would come and that he'd be through the line of Abraham, Genesis 49, 10. That he would be from the line of Judah, the tribe of Judah, 2 Samuel 7. It said he'd be a descendant of David. Isaiah 7, 14 predicted he'd be born of a virgin. Micah 5, 2 said that he would be born in Bethlehem. Psalm 41, 9 said he'd be betrayed by a close trusted friend. He'd be beaten, spit on, have his beard pulled out. Those were foretold in Isaiah 56 and Micah 5, 1. The soldiers would gamble for his clothes and he would be crucified and pierced. Psalm 22 and Zechariah 12, 10. His death would be substitutionary for others and he would rise from the dead. Isaiah 53, 10 and Psalm 16, 8 through 11. And what's fascinating about all of this is that Jesus had nothing to do with any of it. He couldn't control where he would be born, how he would be born. He could not control how he would die. And so you see, for those of you who still doubt, and it's okay to doubt, Jesus' own disciples doubted, but Jesus opened their eyes through the the living word of God. And I pray that you allow Jesus to do the same in your heart. Allow his word to testify of who he is. You have to acknowledge that Jesus Christ was a real person. He didn't invent himself or self-proclaim himself to be the son of God. He wasn't some concoction of some first century fake news. Instead, Jesus was unmistakably the fulfillment of God's eternal plan. He's God in the flesh who came to live for us and die for us and pay the penalty for our sins to bring us back to God. And it's by God's grace that Jesus even today opens our minds and hearts to be able to see the truth of what God says about him. 1 John 5.20 says this, And we know that the Son of God has come. And he's given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and he is eternal life. And so, honestly, if you are stuck and blinded by doubt... Be like those blind men and women of the Old Testament who or of Jesus' day who cried out to him, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Help me see. And God tells you by his word, if you seek me and search for me with all of my heart or all of your heart, you will find me. You will find me. And Jesus will open your eyes. That's what I did, honestly, when I was 18 years old. I had a low point in my life. My life was all about me until I hit that low point. And then it was like, God, I don't know if you're real. I don't know if you're out there, but I got to find something. In fact, I need you to be real, because if you're not, I'm not even sure that life is worth living anymore. I give you my life. Just take it. Make me yours. Make me new. God, please forgive me. Come into my life. And honestly, Jesus did. He did. And he became so real to me that I could have just reached out. I felt like I could reach out and touch him. He became real to me. God's word, the scriptures, the Bible, for the first time made sense to me. My whole life paradigm shifted. I was all about making... I was going to make money. I was going to... big. You know, have a title. That was my whole paradigm. And God said, you know what? I got something different for you. And I was willing to give it all up because I had a new purpose. That's our next point. A purpose to live for. Jesus gives you a purpose to live for. Who are you? I remember I asked myself that question when I was 14 years old. You ever stand in front of a mirror a little too long and kind of freak yourself out like, who are you? <laughs> I can remember doing that. Who are you? Whose are you? What are you about? You know, identity is so important. I think I, our identity and who we view ourselves as, it really drives all of our behavior, doesn't it? I mean, it, it makes all of our decisions for us depending, you know, depending on who we think we are what we're about, where we go, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, what we're passionate about, all of those things. And I think that our own true self-worth and value come from that deep place of identity. And we're never going to embrace the true calling as God's children until we embrace our new identity. Luke 24, 46 to 48. And Jesus said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are my witnesses of all of these things. Did you notice what Jesus called his people at this point? He calls them his witnesses, right? His witnesses. You see, God has a plan. It's a plan from long ago, from the very beginning. And his plan was that he would send his son, Jesus, to die, to suffer, and then to rise to new life, proving beyond any shadow of a doubt that he has power over sin and death, conquered it. And then Jesus would adopt sons and daughters, his children, who would take this message of what he's done and proclaim it to the nations. He'd send them out all over the world on the most important purpose, and that's to help others know the forgiveness of sin and the opportunity to be reconciled with God. Brothers and sisters, we are his witnesses. 2 Corinthians 5:17 to 20 says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become A new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God's given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors God's making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. (laughs) You see, Jesus gave us what's called the great commission, the great co-mission, a mission that we're on with Jesus to seek and to save the lost. It's God's greatest priority. It's the most profound and amazing assignment that anyone could ever be given. God's given us this most important purpose ever known to help us bring hope and healing to lost and broken people. It's not just about showing up on Sunday to get an inspiring message. And it's not just about huddling in little groups together where we study the Bible and pray. It's more like being the Coast Guard where we risk our skin to go out and save people who are in moral danger? You know there was these seven people hanging on a rope, dangling from a helicopter, and six of them were men, and one was a woman. And they all decided that one of them needed to let go, or the rope would break and they all would be lost. And no one could decide who that would be until finally the woman sighed. And then she began to give this very moving story about how she would be willing to give up her life to save everyone because women you see are used to sacrificing for husbands and for their children and giving everything and getting nothing in return. And when she finished speaking, the men applauded. very clever woman. (laughs) But do we really want to follow her example? I mean, is that what salvation is all about, is saving ourselves? That's not our true purpose. You see, it's not just what we know that will change the world, but it's what we do. It's what we do with what we know, and we need to act We can't get frozen in fear. It's by doing that we learn to know what to do. And it's by going that we learn to know where to go. And it's much better to do something imperfectly than to do nothing flawlessly. You see, we have a great purpose to live for. And last, we have a great power to live on. A power to live on. You know how blessed you are to have the powerful God of the universe in your corner, on your side. God never leaves us in isolation, and he doesn't leave us powerless. Luke 24, 49 says, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from on heaven. You know, as Christians, I think we feel, you know, we get overwhelmed by the by the, the culture and the negativity and, and and the attacks that come at us. But we can never forget that we are connected to Jesus and that the omnipotent, all-powerful Holy Spirit lives in us, the spirit that knows us, comforts us, encourages us, and gives us everything we need to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. He's a powerful God, and he wants us to know this power, and he wants us to use it to unlock it. I love what Paul says to the Ephesian believers. He writes this in Ephesians 1, 19 to 23. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. It's the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, he is far above any ruler of authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God's put all things under the authority of Christ, has made him the head of all things for the benefit of the church, and the church is his body. It's made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. One of the things I just absolutely love about the Bible that testifies to me of its truth and authenticity is just how real it is. <laughs> I mean, think about it. If, if these original guys, these, these people that wrote these things down, if they were making this stuff up, wouldn't they just make themselves out to be superheroes? Superheroes. Wouldn't the stories be kind of about them? But instead, what we see is this fragile group of men and women, each with a past. People who stumble and struggle and fall, who are confused and make mistakes. People who are unfaithful. And yet God never gives up on them. You see, the story is about him. He never gives up on them. And his... Love is powerful and faithful and true. You could even say his love is stubborn. I remember back years ago as an early Christian, just a young pup of a Christian, and I would struggle and fall. I, you know, I was kind of ashamed of letting people know that I'd given my life to Jesus. And I had so much to do about cleaning up my language, cleaning up my life. I kept falling and tripping over myself. And I remember hearing this song by this gal, Kathy Tricoli, taking you way back when. And this song is called Stubborn Love. And I would play that song. The first time I heard it, I just wept because it so touched my heart of where I was at. And it goes like this. Caught again, your faithless friend. Don't you ever tire of hearing what a fool I've been? Guess I should pray, but what can I say? Oh, it hurts to know the hundred times I've caused you pain. The forgive me seems so empty when I never change. Yet you stay and say, I love you still, for giving me time and time again. Is it your stubborn love that never lets go of me? I can understand how you could stay perfect love, embracing the worst in me. How I long for your stubborn love. You see, for all of us who feel unfaithful, God is faithful to you. If you turn your heart to him, he will not turn away. His love is powerful, relentless. It's even stubborn. You are loved by God. You are Loved, my God, how blessed we are to have such a wonderful, caring, forgiving, relentless, courageous love that changes us. And you see, it's our gratitude and the power of Christ within us that enables us to begin to walk away from sin and head toward him and his goodness. Oh, what a savior we have. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for all that you've done for us. We're so grateful that you love us. And we do. We bring you the dumb things that we've done. We bring you our failures. We bring all the ways that we've messed our life up, God. And we just throw it on your feet, God, and say thank you for being willing to pay the ultimate price for all of this. Help us to have the faith to accept it as Your forgiveness that cleans us up, that makes us pure. Give us the courage, God, to be able to walk in newness of life. And even when we feel unfaithful, God, we thank you that you are always faithful to us. In Jesus' name, amen.